Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Verse 1 here in Amos chapter 6. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria, notable persons in a chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes. And so it begins with now Amos, in essence, pronouncing this woe, or a way for us to look at it would be you might want to listen up because this is a problem. And he says, look, here's, here's the problem. You're too at ease. You're resting in your own wealth. You're trusting in your geographic locality. You think that you're okay because your circumstances seem to dictate you're just fine. And so therefore, the word of the Lord isn't for you. This problem exists in the church today in huge measure, especially here in America. Because we can become indifferent to the word of the Lord because just like the church of Laodicea, we are rich and we are in need of nothing. And so our tendency is when we're in that place of ease, when things are going well, we're not as open to listening to the word of the Lord. That was true for Israel. It can be true for you. It can be true for me who go over to Kalna. To see and go from there to Hamath the Great and go down to Gath of the Philistines. Now remember, Gath of the Philistines is the the land of Goliath. These were warlike people. Uh, They could be trusted for their military alliance. And so to go down to Gath is the same thing as us making a political treaty with someone trusting in our military strength or our political might might be another way to look at it. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? And so the opening volley here in this chapter really kind of points us to where we are in the world today, because a lot of Christians have placed their faith, their hope, and trust, instead of in the Lord God of hosts, and instead of the word of God, they've placed it in politics, They've actually placed it in political allegiances, political alliances, and they've placed it in wealth or prosperity. And in fact, a lot of people have heard the word of the Lord, know what it says, but instead of being doers of the word of the Lord, they're simply following along a political agenda. And that political agenda is set by people who may be well-intentioned, but it causes us to rest and trust in something that's far lesser than God. And so instead of appealing to the Lord and to his word, we begin to appeal to courts. We begin to appeal to political alliances or allegiances. We begin to look at uh, the world through the lens of the things that we can see instead of the one who created all that we can see. And this is always dangerous. It may not always be fatal, but it's always dangerous because you begin to hope and trust in this world. And this world cannot be trusted in, ultimately. It's not that it's all inherently evil. This country is by far and away the best place in the world to live. I would live nowhere else myself. Give me a choice of living anywhere in the world, and I've traveled a pretty good chunk of the world. I wouldn't live anywhere other than here. I wouldn't live in the Alps. I've been there. I wouldn't live on the coast of Italy. Been there. I wouldn't even live... Apart from uh, the Hawaiian Islands, which are as close as we get to paradise here in this country, I would, I would pick here. But do we have some problems? Yes, we do. Do we have poverty? Yes, we do. Do we have inequities? Yes, we do. Do we have racial injustice? Yes, we do. Do we have problems that need fixing? Yes, we do. And that's the reason you can't hope and trust in the very political system that's allowed those things to exist. That's the problem that the children of Israel had. It was their political system that allowed these things to exist. 
instead of following the Lord, which is what they were supposed to do, they began to say, well, you know, looks pretty good because I'm going to get a new TV. Or I'm going to get a bigger house. Or a nicer car. Or I'm going to have more money. Or there's going to be more food that I like in the grocery store. And again, I'm taking a little bit of artistic license here with the word, but you can get the picture. When people can be benefited by a certain political agenda, it's very hard to resist because it's going to make your daily life what you think is better. But ultimately, it's the people in power that really have control then, and it may not be the Lord. So be careful. Israel struggled with it. I think we're prone to struggle with it in our day and time. And so this woe gives this primary cause of this indifference to the things that God was saying. In this case, it was actually some geography. Where they lived was a well-defended area of the central part of Israel known as Samaria. So if you look at Israel today, if you just kind of imagine, it's very much like California. For those of you that have been here in the state for a long time, you know that through the center of California runs the Sierra Nevada mountain range. And so once you get across the Mojave Desert, the southern Sierras pick up on just the other side of it. They run all the way to the Cascades and on into Oregon. So there's really kind of two halves of California. There's the Owens River Valley in the eastern Sierra, and there's the western side, the San Joaquin Valley, Uh, which is the breadbasket of America. In the middle are the Sierras. Well, in the middle of Israel, it was the Judean foothills and Samaria. Those areas also contain the only reliable water source besides the Jordan that's in the country because that's where the water would collect when the rains fell and so the springs there were deeper. The farming, the arable farmland was better And so they were geographically separated from the coast, which could be invaded by any invading army, i.e. Greece and Rome. And on the other side, you had the Assyrians, which are coming, and below them the the Nabataeans, and below them the Egyptians. And so living in the center of the country had a geographic advantage. It was like if you lived there, it's like, well, we're protected. The people on the coast, not so much. The people in the Jordan River Valley, not so much. But up here in the hills, we're just fine. And so their prosperity came from their military strength and their isolation from the rest of what we would call the world. And so they began to be isolationists. It's like, we're fine up here. They're going to suffer, but we're going to be okay. And so in that isolation, they began to no longer really turn to the Lord. And so there is a word for us in this. When we isolate ourselves from the problems the rest of the world faces, when we fail to see the world for what it really is, that there are people all over the world that are suffering, that not everyone has it the way we have it here in America, we set ourselves up to start trusting in America instead of in the God who has prospered America. And there's a difference between those two things. That's not to say that everything we do is of ill motivation, but it is to say we are to trust in God supremely, not just simply in the fact that we happen to be American citizens. The Israelites learned this lesson the hard way. And I pray that we never have to. We, we happen to live in the only country that's really never, since our founding, think about it, if you want to go back to the War of 1812, perhaps. But since our founding, we've never really suffered a serious war on our own soil. We've been attacked a few times. But we haven't known war like the rest of the world has known. God's preserved us for a purpose. He didn't preserve us just to make us better than everyone else. He's preserved us for a purpose. And that purpose is to bless the world, not just to bless ourselves. We are to bless the world with the things that we have. We're to have an absolute view of the world around us 
that asked the right questions. And so they had political power that was relative to this. Because of their isolation, they also had politics in view. In other words, their region, their regional governors, and their temple, because there was a temple in Samaria. There was a temple in Jerusalem. There were two of them. And so here they're saying, well, look, you know, even if Jerusalem goes down, we're fine right here. We have our own temple. So if the Philistines attack Jerusalem, we're going to be fine up here in the hills. Be careful about trusting in the political experts, the polls, the statistical advice of the things that, you know, we go through almost every day. It's amazing to me when you read uh, news anymore, and I don't know how many of you actually miss newspapers. I do. I actually miss newspapers. I don't know what it is. It's the flipping of the page. It's the, it's the whole thing. It's the fact that I can throw them out and get them in the driveway and my dogs would go get them and bring them in. It was kind of like a morning ritual. I don't know. But for me, it's pretty easy to look at what the experts say and go, well, I guess I better think like that. Well, if what the experts say is contrary to God's word, then I'm supposed to believe God's word over what the experts say. So we have to be careful. Because there are a lot of purported experts who do not hold a biblical worldview. And so we need to examine those things by the word of God. Hold the word of God close and say, look, this is, this is what I believe because this is what God says. So they had geographic isolation, separation. They had political, in essence, clout or power. And they were the big fish on the world stage. If you want to look at what Israel was at that time, the ten northern kingdoms, they were one of the most advanced societies in the world. Assyria was on the rise, but they hadn't gotten there yet, but they would. And so Israel, in that sense, the ten northern tribes, you can kind of look at it and go, well, who's better than us? And so you can kind of see the parallels to our existence today. Who's better than us? Well, the answer to that is effectively no one. There there isn't a power that's greater than the United States of America, but are we going to actually just simply trust in the good old U.S. of A? Are we going to trust in the Lord who could take out the U.S. of A in a blink of an eye? And the reason I say that is that is exactly what's going to happen to Israel. God's done it before. Why? Because they were trusting in something other than him. That's the chief reason God allowed it to happen. He uses a foreign nation, in essence, as his hands to deal with their indifference, their complacency, the things that had crept into their lives. The enemy that's going to come will have destroyed greater nations by the time they get there. You know, we, we sometimes think that we're impervious. You know, let's face it, if you do a quick study of military might, you know, if you're going to bank your, your existence on a military on the face of the earth, I'd pick us too. No question there. The problem is, compared to the Lord God of hosts, there's no military on this planet that is ever going to stand in the face of God when he decides he doesn't like what's happening. Amen? I want to think about that one. Because sometimes we start going the other way. It's just like, well, we can maybe resist God. You know, sure, we've got, you know, we've got laws that are kind of sort of funky. We don't have laws that are kind of sort of funky. We have, we have laws in this country that are in a direct conflict with the word of God. They're actually against God himself. We have laws that take advantage of other people. Direct conflict with the word of God. We have a system that advantages some and disadvantages others. Direct conflict with the word of God. We have inequality, direct conflict with the word of God. You think God's not seeing all that? 
And we keep driving the bus the same direction. And we kind of expect God's just going to, well, you know, I mean, we're great. We're fine. And God's saying, no, I'm giving you this time to turn around and go the other direction, to change things up, to fix the problems. Israel didn't learn that lesson. Its motivation was chiefly pride. We're better than everybody else. And it is going to get them a spanking like you can't imagine. The definition of worship, if you want the shortest one that you can have, is that which you give honor to. Whatever you honor, whatever you glorify, that's what you worship. We're supposed to honor and glorify the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We're supposed to honor God. We're not supposed to honor a system of government. We give honor to people. But the type of honor that this is talking about belongs only to God. Amen? We need to be careful as the church. Because we can start giving honor to the wrong God. And I think it's part of the problem that we're facing right now. As we come out of this pandemic, I think a lot of churches have sold, in essence, their ability to preach the word of God, to teach the word of God for a political agenda. And that's a very dangerous thing. Because when I can't stand up here and say, thus says the Lord, I'm in trouble. If I have to say, thus says so-and-so because they're the governor, or thus says so-and-so because they're the president, or thus says so-and-so because they sit on the Supreme Court, and it disagrees with the word of God says, I am in trouble as a pastor. We hold the word of God supreme, the Lord supreme. Everything else is beneath him. Amen? Or in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea had very much the same problem. So we know in the last days, this is going to be the condition. That this is a church that was rich, increased with goods, and in need of nothing. And God said, I will spew you out of my mouth, for you are neither hot nor cold. In other words, there, there's something wrong, there's something distasteful about that I don't know how many of you have had that experience. You've maybe been out in the desert someplace and you know, you're, you're just parched and you're, you just want a cold drink of water and, and you get a warm drink of water. The first thing you do is like, yuck, you want to spit that out so you get lukewarm. You want something that not only quenches your thirst but is actually cool to cool off your tongue. And that's kind of the picture there in Revelation 3. It's like God said, it's not that it's not still water, it's just the wrong temperature. It's not hot, it's not cold, it's supposed to be hot, it's supposed to be cold when it's supposed to be cold, it's supposed to be hot when it's supposed to be hot, and instead you're neither, you're just lukewarm. It's like, good for nothing. The second thing that we see here is that this indifference will ultimately lead to being indulgent. These two things are linked together, they're almost inextricable. When someone becomes indifferent to the way things actually are and to the one who really controls things, then you become indulgent in other things. In this case, wealth. And you can see it here very clearly. Verse 3, Woe to you who put far off the day of doom, who caused the seed of the violence to come near, who lie on beds of ivory. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this for a moment, and I'll, I'll show you a picture of a piece of Samaritan ivory in a moment. But for anyone to have any amount of ivory at this time would be absolutely insane. It isn't like there was a bunch of elephants roaming the Levant. Uh, they, They didn't have a bunch of whale ivory. There were no tusks to be had. This would be something that would have to be imported from a very long ways away. The middle of Africa, not the north of Africa, the middle of Africa, probably 1,500 to 2,000 miles away for the most part. 
down beneath what we would call modern-day Sudan, down below the Sahara, down below the savannah, get into the savannah, the central part of Africa, you might find some elephants and some ivory and some tusks, but you're not finding that in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula. You're not getting that in Israel itself or in modern-day Israel or Jordan or Syria. This is something that no one would have. It would have been imported, traded for, and unbelievably valuable. You lie on beds of ivory. You stretch out on your couches. Now, to put it into perspective, no one had a couch. Furniture didn't exist. They slept on the floor, a dirt floor. Maybe they might have had a full covering, but most people actually slept in their clothes to stay warm. So this is, this is excess like the common people would never have seen. And God's saying this of Israel itself. You eat lambs from the flock. Now, for those of you that know anything about sheep, lambs are baby sheep. They're the tender ones. Sheep themselves, when you slaughter them, that's called mutton, isn't it? So if you want lamb chops, lamb chops are from baby sheep, tender sheep. A mutton chop, not so good. A little bit gamey. So this is someone who has so many sheep that they can kill the little ones and eat them. Lambs from the flock, calves from the midst of the stall, same thing. One of the things that Connie and I had to get used to when we lived in Austria was in Austria, all cows are milk cows. All cows are milk cows. There's no beef cattle. Beef are important. And if you got local beef, um, it, for those of you that are familiar with super balls and how tough they are, you know, those things that bounce, like if you throw them against the wall, they bounce for three days inside of your house. That's the beef in Austria. It's like you could beat it with the hammer, run over it with the truck, boil it in something, and it would still, you still couldn't chew it. Well, the same is true for most people that lived in Israel during that time. Cows would be used primarily for cheese. Very rare that you would even eat one, and you surely wouldn't eat a young one because it could grow up to be an old one and it's far more valuable as an old cow than it is as a young cow. In other words, this is someone who has way more than they need again. Who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments. It's like they're constantly stuck on Spotify. And invent for yourselves musical instruments like David. Any of you remember how David got in trouble? David was at ease when it was the season for what? War. David was staying home, and this is not, you know, any of you who are musicians, I myself play a few instruments. Any of you who are musicians, this is not against all musicians, but this is to say, when you don't go to work and instead you stay home and play your guitar, there's something seriously wrong. Who drink wine from bowls. Back in that time, they were called craters with a K. They were a very large drinking vessel with handles on them. They were literally a bowl full of wine. If you were wealthy, you drank out of it. It might have a spout so other people could drink out of your crater. They would be dipped into a vat. If you were wealthy, you had more than you could possibly ever need. You anoint yourselves with the best ointments but are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. What was the affliction of Joseph? It was famine. Why was Joseph so concerned for his brothers in Egypt? Because they were dying of starvation. In other words, here's a picture of this massive wealth gap. You have the uber wealthy and the poor and nothing in between. One of the things that's very shocking about a lot of, of Central America, Latin America in general, is the wealth gap. There's basically the wealthy and the poor, and there's almost no middle class. Here in America, we happen to be blessed. There's a very large middle class to where most people are doing okay. 
But that's not true in a lot of the world, and it wasn't true in Israel. The average person was starving, and the wealthy were wasting everything. And God's basically saying through Amos, this is a problem. God cares about people's needs. He wants to see the poor taken care of. I got a couple of videos today from our brother Mike down in Nicaragua, and they're building a a house out that's going to be used for children's ministry and stuff. And I'm sitting there, and he is just uber excited because they're putting in this plastic ceiling, which for those of you that have never been in Central America during the summer months, which is 11 months out of the year because it's very near the equator, it's 110 outside, it's 120 inside. And he's, he's like thrilled that they're going to have a ceiling in the building. You know, we're sitting here, could you turn down the air conditioning? Because it, you know, it got to 69. Could you turn it up? It's, you know, it's like 72. We're so spoiled here. We're like, I've done church services where you don't need to baptize anybody. They've sweat enough. You can just say, you're baptized. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's the way it was during this time. They weren't grieved for the poor, what they were going through. And therefore, they shall now go captive as the firstborn of the captives. In other words, they're going to be in the front of the line in captivity. And those who recline at banquets shall be removed. And that word removed means annihilated. Wiped out. Their motto was basically, hey, that can't happen here. You know, I mean, look how well we're doing. Look at the things we have. Look how blessed we are. And again, I don't want to bum anybody out, but take stock of your own life and say, what are you doing when it comes to the needs of other people? And again, I'm not saying go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I'm just simply saying, are you concerned? Are we concerned? I can tell you as a church, we are concerned. And we are doing things all over the world. And we're going to continue to do things all over the world. Amen? That's who we are. At the heart, this church is a missional church. We, we have missionaries everywhere. We have facilities everywhere. We're building stuff all over the world. But every church should be like that. When a church gets to the place to where they only care about themselves, when they're just worried about their building and the people inside of their four walls, there's a problem. That's a problem for God. We are to be concerned about the needs of others. In fact, so much so that the scriptures say, when you see your brother has need and you harden your heart towards him, how can you say that the love of God even dwells in you? Pretty strong admonition. That was true in the Old Testament times too because people had great need and the wealthy were doing nothing about it. It's a bad thing. The church shouldn't get engaged in it. The church should be the place where it's different. God's people should be a people where it's different. It's different with us than it is with the world. And I thank God for you all because it is in this church different than it is in a lot of other places. So here they were living for pleasure and not for the glory of God. So where do you think their worship was? Why do you think Jesus was so specific when he said no one can serve God and mammon. Wealth, prosperity. That's what mammon was. It was the God of prosperity. You can't. Because you're going to love one, hate the other, or hate the one, love the other. You can only serve one God at a time. And so while you're serving mammon, you're not serving God is the implication. And so we have to be careful to always serve God. And God gives us excess and we have it. Praise the Lord. The Bible doesn't speak about wealth being evil. It speaks about the love of money being the root of all kinds of evil. That's all it says. It doesn't say wealth's bad. It says worshiping wealth can get you in trouble. And it did the children of Israel. And in this case, they laid on these ivory couches. This little piece of ivory that you see here 
was actually found in Samaria. And, and when it was found, it was actually part of a bed. And so this bed that contained this hunk of ivory, uh, if that slide comes up at some point in time while I'm talking about it, that would be really, really, really good. Because I changed it here, and it's not changed up there. We still have me on the screen, and that's not what I want to see. So there we go. Praise the Lord. Thank you. But that piece of ivory, it was estimated that if you were to buy four of those, it would take you the substance of your entire livelihood of your whole life to purchase four of those. That was one applique on one corner of one bed. So imagine that collecting that amount of ivory to just adorn your bed with would take you Every single thing you could make as a working person. If you had, in other words, a regular job that afforded you the normal things of life, in their case, a subsistence farmer who traded, you know, maybe their barley for some grapes and some fruit, and they would swap back and forth, but they would have to take everything they would ever get to picture. Four of those complete, that's not quite a complete applique. That thing's only about 18 inches high to adorn a post on your bed. Four of them would take the entire earnings you would ever make in your lifetime. That was found in Samaria. So the reason I'm showing you these things is so that you have to kind of consider how God sees these things. It's one thing for us to be blessed. It's another thing for us to hoard those blessings. It's one thing for God to give us wonderful things to enjoy richly, which scripture says is perfectly okay, by the way. And it's another thing to hoard those things up and to kind of be stingy, to hang on to it for our own, in essence, self-indulgence. The children of Israel had done the latter of those two things. They were no longer looking at the world around them saying, you know, I really don't think I need to buy four pieces of ivory to put on my bed so that I can, you know, sleep well at night while I'm looking at this nice piece of hand-carved ivory uh, when my neighbor is hungry. When, When they don't have a place to sleep. You see, the right view of that is You can do both things. We can take care of the needs of those around us and at the same time still be blessed of the Lord. And so God just simply says, make sure that you're worshiping the right way. I was doing a little study. Do you know that here in the United States of America, cosmetics, and I'm not just talking about you ladies, but now it's guys as well, cosmetics, in the United States of America, is almost a $700 billion a year industry. $700 billion a year on cosmetics. Now, if you do some simple math, that's a whole bunch of money per family. It's actually enough money that if you took $700 billion and converted it into substance that could feed people. In other words, rice, beans, things that most of the rest of the world eats every day. When you travel to Latin America, you're going to get beans and rice with every single meal. Maybe some chicken, but I've learned beans and rice with the right kind of hot sauce, it's awesome. But if you converted that into subsistence food, You could feed the entire continent of Africa for a year. The whole continent. Every single man, woman, and child for a year on what we spend on cosmetics. Kind of gives you pause. Kind of makes you think a little bit. Now, that's not saying if you've got a bunch of cosmetics at home, you know, go flush them down the toilet and, you know, get on your knees and say, God, I'm so sorry that I bought eyeliner. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that's how Israel got in trouble. They stopped making that connection. Now, before you know it, there's somebody who doesn't have food, 
but the rich have cosmetics. That's a bad place. That's a place we need to be careful of. In other words, their focus was on feeding their own flesh. Wealth, music, fine food, nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. So I don't want to bum you out, you know, so if you've got a steak dinner planned, praise God. Hallelujah. My preferred is ribeye. Medium, medium rare, well marbled. But we have to be really careful. Because what you know, we, we might enjoy occasionally can become what we enjoy normally, and then pretty soon we don't enjoy that. We've got to have something else. Just be careful. David obviously designed and made musical instruments and played them. There's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, the Bible seems to indicate that it was actually a blessing to the Lord. But when it caused him to stay home and get in trouble with Bathsheba... You can kind of see the line was crossed, right? Be careful. Abraham, same thing. He was able to prepare feasts and it was a blessing to the Lord. God doesn't rebuke him for it. But he didn't do that every day. Be careful. We don't want to become like the rulers of Samaria that were indifferent to that indulgence. Vacations are great. Vacations are fine. Matter of fact, I strongly encourage that you take them, that you do some things to break up the the monotony of living in the city. Nothing wrong with that at all. Enjoy them, whatever it is. But when your whole life is a vacation, you start to complain about your vacation because, you know, it's just like, well, you know, my house in the Bahamas. You got another problem. Now you've got something that really needs some some attention as a believer. You remember Belshazzar in Babylon in Daniel chapter 7, we studied in Daniel. He was actually having a party. He was using the temple instruments to, to hold his party with. That's how far he'd gone down the road. It's like, so if you start using your Bible for a coaster at your party, you need to really start worrying about some stuff. Roman citizens ultimately got so used to this that they rioted when there were not circuses in the Colosseum. The Romans started going nuts. We haven't seen anybody die this week. It's just a warning to us to keep our eyes on Jesus, to remember what matters. A matter of fact, one of the, the very specific marks of the last days that Second Timothy gives us there in chapter 3, verse 4, that men will become lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They will be so concerned with the things that please us that we'll stop pleasing God. Watch for that. That's why Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life, that the day of the Lord should come upon you unexpectedly, that you would be so messed up with just kind of living your life for the good things there are on this planet, that you, that you aren't ready for the Lord to return. I think there's a, there's a healthy time for us to really just enjoy the things that God's given us. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Zero question. But there's also a time for us to weep over the things that are going on around us, near us, that we can do something about. That the Lord would have us get engaged in. You know, too often we can drive past. I saw something happen uh, last week, actually. I was actually stunned by it. And and this is not to put a guilt trip on anybody, but it's just to say this is how this is how it happens. You know, we do have a fair amount of homeless people here in our in our city, the greater Los Angeles area. Some fifty thousand or so of them, if you think that the numbers are correct, that were given by the city itself. But I watched a guy pushing a shopping cart who is obviously handicapped. He had physical problems. And I don't know if he was homeless or not, but I know he couldn't push that shopping cart. 
He fell down in the street with a shopping cart, and cars did not even stop. They didn't stop. They just kept driving around. He's laying in the road with his shopping cart on PCH. And cars are just like, well, you know, not my deal. Not one person stopped. He finally was able to get up. You know, to me, that's a sign that there's something sick within our country. There's something wrong when people can see someone taken advantage of and do nothing about it. When wrong occurs and people don't care. It's like, well, I've seen that before. Woe unto us if our hearts get so hard that we can see things like that and do nothing about it. Because one day that may be you. Might be you. Might be me. So stop. Do something about it. Take a little healthy risk every once in a while. It's good for you. It's good for you. You Yeah, maybe you would have gotten yelled at. I don't know. But don't harden your heart to where you can no longer see somebody laying in the street in need of help. That's the story of the Good Samaritan, isn't it? Here goes the religious guy. Well, you know, I don't want to see that. God help us. Help us to see with spiritual eyes what we need to see. Finally, I'm going to close this out. If you take these things and you really look at if I'm indifferent and I'm indulgent, eventually it's going to lead to being impudent. I'm just going to actually start to be rebellious about this stuff. We're going to see much the same thing in our journey through the book of Hebrews as well. If you use this word impudent as an adjective, it's not showing respect. It's allowing yourself to not give respect where respect is due. And in this case, it's against God. It's to not respect the things of the Lord. It's to be insolent. Some synonyms, cheeky, audacious, brash, rude, impolite. Now, I don't know about you, those are not things you want to do to God on a consistent basis. Verse 8, the Lord has shown himself and sworn by himself. For the Lord God of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob, I hate his palaces. And therefore I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. Jesus actually put it this way. He said, that which is highly esteemed of men is an abhorrence to God. Basically what God is saying is, you guys worship the wrong thing sometimes. So we have to be careful about that. We're actually reminded in the book of Revelation there in chapter 17 and 18 that that's the reason that final world power governed by Satan, the, the kingdom that's called Mystery Babylon, is going to be destroyed. It's for pride. Insolence. Arrogance. All those words kind of fit. But these people were being impudent in that they were rejecting what God was saying. It's just like, no, he's not going to punish us. I mean, we're too awesome. I mean, look, we spread freedom around the world. And again, I'm not trying to make a direct correlation, but I'm saying think about it for a second. There are a lot of people who think we can just keep doing whatever we want because we're the last bastion of freedom on, the, on planet Earth. Yeah, but we're also slaughtering nearly a million babies every year. You see what I'm saying? God doesn't miss any of that. It's not like we can wave our hand, we'll just ignore this God. Don't worry about that because, I mean, look what we're doing over here. We're the world's police. There's a cost to this. And that cost is great. Verse 9, we see the first cost of indifference is actually death. Then it shall come to pass, if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when a relative of the dead one is there, the one who will burn the bodies, in other words, they would come to avoid disease and they would normally burn bodies. I know it sounds terrible, but it was a way to prevent disease on the battlefield. 
picks up the bodies and takes them out of the house. He'll say to one inside the house, are there any more with you? And someone will say, none. He'll say, hold your tongue, for we dare not even mention the name of the Lord. It's like, it's like until we get this taken care of. God's done this. The reason this is happening is the Lord is chastening us. Not going to be a religious occasion. It's going to be, in essence, uh, something that gets done because it has to be done because the rest of the people are going to die too. Another cost is the destruction. God's not beyond taking down things that are unpleasing to him. And again, we're so used to you know, always winning in this country. We're so used to having things go our way. We're so used to fighting battles and being victorious and all those kind of things. I think sometimes we just automatically assume that God's okay with everything we do. And I think that's a bad assumption. For behold, the Lord gives a command, and he will break the great house into bits and the little house into pieces. Do horses run on rocks? Does the plow go with the oxen? And yet you have turned justice into gall, the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice over Lodabar, who say, Have not we taken Karnamim for ourselves by our own strength? This is just kind of trusting in our own abilities and the things, the victories of the past. And I think it gets us into a place to where God may have to chasten us to get our attention. And that's certainly not what I want. I would imagine it's not what any of you want as well. You know, horses are very, very, very wise. You will never find a horse galloping on rocks. Never. They won't do it. The moment they get onto slick rocks, they start walking. They'll sleep. People, not so much. Common sense sometimes goes out the windows when we start not paying attention to things of the Lord. We get indifferent to the word of God. Before you know it, we don't even think correctly. This name, Lodabar, actually means nothing. In other words, we took nothing from no one. They're kind of bragging about, we got something from somebody who's nothing. They boasted in this victory and that they did it in their own strength. In other words, they got nothing. That was their victory. And they're like, yay, we got nothing. You know, sometimes we, we kind of brag about the victories that we have. And then you turn around and you look and it's got, well, what, what, what did we get? False confidence was, was going to be their destruction. Another cost would be disgrace, ultimately ending in defeat. Verse 14 Remember, just as Proverbs 16 reminds us that pride always goes before destruction. When you get the self-confidence, you end up in that place where God's got no choice but to chasten us. But behold, I will raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, says the Lord God of hosts. And they will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the valley of Arabah. These, these two places, Hamath is in the north and Arabah is in the south. Basically, he's saying the whole country is going to be afflicted. Nobody's going to escape. And we know from the prophet Isaiah specifically that when Israel attacked, not only did they wipe out the north, took the ten tribes and they ceased to exist, they were dispersed to the world, taken captive. But Judah, which was trapped in Jerusalem, had it not been for an angel of the Lord, Judah would have fallen too. And so God was saying to them, look, you've been trusting in your own kings, you've been trusting in Jeroboam. Jeroboam has led you in worshiping a cow. You need to get back to worshiping me. And so as he finishes preaching these messages, he's kind of leaving us in a spot to where he's going to go on and finish this book out with a series of six visions. And then finally, a, a seventh one of the day of the Lord as the Lord makes all this right. <clears throat> Here's the moral of this. It's always a bad thing to stop paying attention to the Lord. It will almost always lead to indulgences and in things that are not okay with God. And ultimately, you'll become impudent about it. You'll just start telling God, it's like, I don't really care anymore. And so the way to avoid that is to simply not get indifferent in the first place. So when God speaks, when you know what the word of the Lord is, it's incumbent upon us. If we want God's blessing, we just do what he says. 
It's not that hard. You know, sometimes I get into conversations with people and it's like everything within them says, well, I know what it says, but I don't want to do that. So I'm going to sit there and argue with you, Pastor Jeff, about what it says. And I'm going, well, it says this. And they're going, well, I don't like what it says. And I'm saying, but it says this. This is what you're supposed to do because it says this. And it's like, and before you know it, boom. The indifference turns into indulgence, turns into impudence. It happens almost every time. Before you know it, you're usually, I don't care what God said. That's just a recipe for a spanking. And I don't like them. I've, I've walked with the Lord long enough to know that he will do everything necessary to get my attention some other way. But if he decides that I can't be reasoned with, or he decides that I'm not listening, guess what? He's left with, with the choice of letting us go our own way, which will lead to destruction, or spanking us, which will probably wake us up. Which one do you think he's going to do? He's going to give you a spanking, because he chastens those whom he loves. So if you want to avoid a spanking, listen to what the word of the Lord says. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray together. Father, thank you that you were gracious and kind and tender and merciful. And Lord, in all these things, as you spoke to the children of Israel and you reminded them that they couldn't trust in horses and chariots, but only in the name of the Lord. We recognize that your name is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are saved. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you for your mercy, that you do not give us what we often deserve, that you reserve that and hold back, and you're kind in the face of our impudence at times. And so we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray, if there's anyone struggling here in the sanctuary tonight, Lord, maybe there's, there's somebody that really just doesn't want to do what you've told them to do, I pray that you'd soften their heart to that truth. Pray that you would keep them from walking down that road that is going to lead towards these things that are horrible. Lord, you're, you're withholding your justice and withholding your mercy uh, from them right now because they're trying to get their attention. You're allowing these things to go that are um, not pleasant. And I pray that they'd see the reason for it. And Lord, for those of us that are that really have learned that lesson and are walking with you. We pray that you would help us to be a, a beacon of light to others, Lord, that we wouldn't get caught up in the craziness of this world, but rather just fall on our face every day and take out your word and read it and then be doers of it. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit's work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.